0: Well, it's not my favorite thing when Matt's gone, because A, I lose my golfing buddy, and he is one of my few buddies that understands my game and is patient with me on the golf course. Um, Just the conversations, the meetings that we get to, but it is an enjoyable thing that I get to speak, and it is something I really do enjoy I come to appreciate that week the time the energy the effort it takes to put a message together but i really enjoy it and i enjoy it because this is the opportunity to get in god's word and share what it's doing in my life and so this morning i would like to start a little what i would call a mini series for me it'll probably be five or six messages that I'll preach as the opportunities. It won't be the next five or six weeks, but as I have five or six times during the year, the opportunity to preach, these are where I would like to. And I read a book recently on the book of Daniel, and this book I just so enjoyed. And so I thought I would share a little bit, as you see on the screen there, Daniel standing strong and loving well in a shifting culture. And what I realized is Daniel is a great book, kind of like a playbook for how to stand strong, love others well, love God well in a shifting culture. So here's a question for you that may seem like a rhetorical question, but is our culture changing? And question two, is our culture changing to be more like God or less like God? Would you say the cultural shift in our time is it's becoming more like God or less like God? This week, you might have noticed in the last couple of weeks in the news, uh, Elon Musk might want to buy Twitter. And I've been fun- it's been funny reading the articles because I think he's been championing free speech as part of the you know Twitter Twitter is a funny thing, isn't it? That we give you a platform to say whatever you want to say and whatever you feel like saying, 144 characters. And let's just see how that social experiment works. And of course, it's been a very profitable um, company. But it wasn't too long into Twitter that you realize, you know, I'm not sure we can let everybody say everything they want to say. So maybe we should have a group of people that kind of filters what people say. And so you kind of do that experiment, and then you realize some people might be saying some hateful speech. How many of us are against hateful speech? Everyone raises their hand. We're against hateful speech. So we should probably have a group of people that that's what they do. They decide what's hateful speech, what's not hateful speech. So you get those people together. And so you kind of have a filter there. Then you realize that there's bots that are putting stuff up on Twitter that are actually not humans. And how can we differentiate between a bot and a human? So we got to get a part of the company that works on that, make sure bots aren't saying things on Twitter that they shouldn't be saying. So then you realize, man, this is a lot bigger. And some of you know this because you're on Twitter and you see it and you read the news. And I think Elon Musk is like, I want to open this up for people to say more what they're thinking. I don't know how that's going to go, and if they, if he'll buy Twitter or not. But if you're, if that was nothing in your world, and you're like, I did not know any of that, you're just a better off person. I'll just say that. you were like, I don't know who. Elon Musk or what you're talking about with Twitter and why there's 144 characters. That's God bless you. You don't need to research that at all this week. But it is an interesting thing because your workplace actually might be like that where like there's a group of people that need to filter what's being said at the workplace. I think it filters down anywhere, everywhere. And when we talk about the culture and the cultural shift, we're talking about customs and arts and social institutions, the things that we celebrate. And I think what you have noticed is over time, right and wrong comes under attack. But it's not just what's right and wrong that comes under attack, we've been seeing a shift For years now and that is you need to celebrate my truth and you've kind of heard that speak your truth but it's more than just like what's okay for you is okay for you and what's okay for me we're seeing a shift in you need to celebrate my truth whether it's incongruent with your truth or if it's incongruent with the truth in general and you feel this I feel it and we could probably tell a lot of stories of how that's interacted in your life. A lot of the stories that I think about, I think about with my kids, but this is not just something for our youth. This is not just, oh, what about the future? What about our children in school and what's happening with them? This is something, the cultural shift that affects all of us. I was reading this week, the highest rate of suicide in any population group is 65 and older in the United States. The highest rate of suicide in the United States is in 65 year and older people group. I had no idea about that. And you know, stats and stories can cause you to lose hope. What I want you to see from Daniel today There is no reason to lose hope. I'm not losing hope this morning. You do not need to lose hope this morning. This is not the first time a culture shift has happened. This is the struggle that Abraham dealt with, that Joseph dealt with, Moses dealt with, Ruth dealt with, Esther dealt with, Isaiah, Elisha, Mary, Jesus, Peter, Paul, all of these people lived in a culture that was changing and shifting and not growing closer to God. So here's the question this morning. The question is, how can you stand strong and love well in a changing culture? And Daniel gives us a great example of how we could do this. So a little background on Daniel. I won't spend too much this morning on that. But I do want to share a little bit of background so you know where we're coming from in the book of Daniel. This is not a story, just a Bible story. This is history. This is 605 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar comes to power for the Babylonian Empire. And after the reigns of David, King David, and his son Solomon, the Israel culture starts to fall apart. They quickly abandon their faith in God, the northern kingdom right away starts to follow other idols. The southern kingdom has this on and off relationship with God, and that was Judah and Benjamin, till eventually all 12 tribes of the Israelites are not following God, and they are eventually conquered and taken to captivity. The northern tribes earlier in Assyria here the southern tribes with Babylonian. And Nebuchadnezzar attacks Jerusalem, And he does something very unique, and not unique that it was never done. It just wasn't always the practice of the day. Instead of wiping out all of Jerusalem, all the people and everything there, what he decides to do is he will take a group that will be for slaves, and that will be with the farming community, the construction um, servants, and that was common. But he takes another group of people, what we would call the elite, the most educated, the most talented, the most successful. They were part of the royal line, many of them. And he takes them back to Babylon, and he's going to use them as a part of his society moving forward. And how does he do this? It's actually this three-year brainwashing program that he's going to take these young people through when he brings them from Jerusalem, these Hebrews, back to Babylon. Kind of an indoctrination program. The brightest and the best. And what's amazing in this is you will see that Daniel not only stood strong, but the way he showed his faith, the way he demonstrated his faith had a huge impact on the culture and the future in the Babylonian Empire. So, What I'd like you to see this morning, how can you be a catalyst for redemptive change? How can we be people of influence where the goal is not to just be right or just be different, but reflect the loving kindness of a good God while we stand strong? So let's look at the first four verses in Daniel. This is Daniel chapter 1, and this is a narrative The first six chapters are narrative about Daniel. The second part of Daniel is prophetic, and I'm not going to get into that prophecy part, but we'll look at the first six chapters as I go through Daniel. Verse 1 through 4, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the ruler officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning well informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. When I read verse four there, I think of my kids. Handsome, showing aptitude, well informed. That, that, okay, I'm embarrassing you guys, but that just made me think of you guys this morning. But he, these are the ones that he chose. So Daniel, he was smart, educated, bright, good looking, high aptitude, kind of like the Ivy League of Israel. And what they wanted to do as they took them away, brainwashed them, strip away their past, give them a new identity, new culture. And how did he do this? How did King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian empire do this? He said, okay, you guys have been reading, and we saw it right in the end of verse 4. You guys have been reading the Torah every day. This has been your literature. We're going to take away the literature that you have, and we're going to give you something different to read, something different to learn. Now, we don't know exactly what the new literature. um, We probably have ideas. But if we wanted to play that out in our culture, if we wanted to take a group of young people or a group of people and we wanted to change their values, their thought process, what would you give them today? That if you wanted to strip away, take away everything, take away the Bible, everything they had, and give them something else that would be a new way to learn, what would you give them? And I know the first thing that came to my mind was, how about a device with a bunch of apps on it that as you can scroll through all day and this would tell you what everyone around you thinks. So Facebook, by the way, that's not what the young people use anymore, just so you know. If you use Facebook, you're probably not young anymore. Just, a, just, just, a, just, a, just a FYI, I use Facebook. I cannot message my children on Facebook. Instagram, You're getting a little older, but you're still kind of young. TikTok, if you don't know what that is, you are old. (laughs) YouTube, Twitter. So take away all of what God is saying about you and fill that with what people around are saying. I don't know if that hits home for you or not. It does for me. When I got one of my phones recently, A standard widget on there, you know how you try different things on there, a standard widget on there was this thing that tells you how much time you've spent in each application. And I touched it, and it opened up, and I looked at it, and I said, I'm never opening this again. (laughs) I was like looking in the mirror first thing in the morning. You're like, ooh, that doesn't look good. I don't (laughs) think I want to look at this again. But that's Just like a small picture, I think of places like college, places where the Bible's not celebrated, that you're told this is what you should think, this is the literature you should read. Keep up with what everyone around you is saying and not care what God is saying. So look at verse 5. What is happening is they're distancing them from all they've known and they've thought. The king assigned them, a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. So two things here. First, the food. You will see in the first part of that that it talks about they gave them different food. Not only the food that was given to them was likely against their dietary laws that they had been given from God, but it is most likely that this food was sacrificed to the Babylonian gods. And they knew that that was not something that God wanted them to participate in. This would have been a huge offense to the Jewish people to eat food that was sacrificed to idols. And they were saying, so forget what you've been taught before, this is the new way. And not to spend too much time on this verse, but one of the interesting things about this verse too is at the end of it, look at the end of verse five there, It talks about, or at the beginning, their food and wine from the king's table. One of the things we know from the Babylonian culture, this wasn't just a little wine that would go with your meal. We know from their culture, there was wine that was an extensive part of their culture. There was extravagant parties that went on for days, and anything goes. And the interesting part at the end of verse 3 that it says, They were trained for three years. So somehow they had come to the conclusion, if we can take them and put them in this kind of environment for three years, we can reshape them so much that they would serve and be ready to serve in the king's palace. So verse 6 introduces us then to the main characters in this book of Daniel. Among those who were chosen from Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Probably hundreds or not thousands of young people were taken away into captivity and part um, part of this program that King Nebuchadnezzar would put them through. And so here's the question. Culture is shifting right in front of them. And when culture shifts, what are they going to do? What are you going to do as culture shifts? And I think we think of, do you have the courage to stand strong? And as I look around this room, I think most of us want to do what's right and want to stand for what's right. But how do we do that? And one of the first things that can help you with standing strong and a shifting culture around you is to understand the strategy of the culture that is around you. How does the culture want to strip away the values you have, the values that are from God, and replace them with the values of the culture in that day? And at verse 7, we are going to see the first strategy that King Nebuchadnezzar used, and it is similar to the strategy you will see The chief official gave them, say this with me, new names. The first strategy he did was give them new names. This was actually something that was very popular in the culture at that time. But in this particular, it was part of stripping away God from them and giving them a new label, a new name, something to reshape them and They wanted them to believe something about that new name. Now, I've never really dug into this in the past, and that was one of the enjoyable things about reading this book on Daniel and then also digging in for the message this week. I learned the story of these four young men a lot. But in verse number 7, we see at the end, to Daniel the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So what's, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about them getting new names? In those days, when a country conquered another country and they enslaved, it was common to change their names as a sign of ownership. They would give them a new name to show that you are now ours. And that's what these four men went through. You belong to King Nebuchadnezzar now. And you no longer will be known by your old names from your homeland these are your new names and these weren't just simply different names these names were meant to obliterate everything about their identities from before so what i would like to do is just take a few minutes this morning look at these names share with you how that's important and how it can help you stand strong in a culture change okay so the first one is in The next verse, and it says, he was changed to Daniel. Daniel in the Hebrew means God is my judge. That's what his Hebrew name. And as you know, if you studied any cultures from the past, and this might be true of your family, your name brings an identity with it. It says something maybe about you. And in the Old Testament, we saw this very much that it was something about your family, something about your purpose in life. And many times God would even change people's names as they had different purposes. You remember Abram was changed to Abraham, that um, Israel became a new name for Jacob. In the New Testament, we saw Saul's name was changed to Paul. Peter's name was changed to identify what God's purpose was in his life. This is what Daniel's name, God is my judge, his whole life, this is how Daniel lived. God is who I look to for what is right and wrong. God is my true north as far as what is right. His new name would be Belteshazzar. And here's what Belteshazzar means in the Chaldean, Lady, protect the king. Now just think about that for a moment. The first things the Babylonians did was give him a girl's name. Now, I know that gender identity, gender confusion, that is a hot topic right now, but it is not something new. We see throughout cultures in India, the Polynesians, Mesopotamia, here in Babylon, in Assyria, the Sumerians, all of these had ideas as the culture shifted of either a third gender or a non-gender or a transgender, and this is nothing different, and some cultures wiped away that there's no difference between men and women. But it's deeper than that. Because I would say that some of you in your past had people tell you, you're not a real man, or you're not a real woman, because of how they defined that label. You know, I was picking up my kids this weekend from college and one of the things we had to do was rent a truck. Um, We had to get stuff to storage and then get stuff home and part of that was to rent a truck. I do not own a truck. I do not drive a truck regularly. I like trucks. They're really expensive and the best thing is knowing a friend who has a truck versus owning one yourself unless you love trucks. But what that meant, I had to park a truck a lot during the weekend. So Noah and I were in the parking garage and I did this thing where you pull, then you back up, and then you pull and you back up and then get in. And I said, yeah, I'm not very good at this parking, the truck thing. And Noah says, you're a man. Don't you know how to park a truck? And I said, I'm gonna use that in my Sunday message, just so you know. How we define what a man and what a woman is, is very interesting. When I was growing up, you might remember this, there was something called Cabbage Patch Kids. I wanted a Cabbage Patch Kids. And that first year they came out, parents were fighting in Toys R Us and stores like that. My family didn't have a lot of money, so I didn't get one when they came out right away, but I wanted one. But you know what I heard? Boys don't play with dolls. That was a little bit of a conflict for me. (laughs) Where does Cabbage Patch fit in that? Well, I got a Cabbage Patch. None of my friends that were guys got Cabbage Patch. And you're like, did you play with your Cabbage Patch? Well, I'll tell you, when we went on vacation, we took a vacation to Michigan. There's a little town called Holland, Michigan. And it's kind of a Dutch community. My brother bought those wooden clogs you know, that you can wear. I bought wooden clogs for my Cabbage Patch. (laughs) And I had his name carved in on those. (laughs) I remember the girls used to roller skate at recess. I liked roller skating. And only girls roller skated. I got Garfield roller skates. And I roller skated at recess with the girls. And I was told, real guys don't roller skate. Maybe you've heard, real men don't cry. I cry. I identify myself as a real man. But as you let that sink in, you can start to believe a label about yourself that God has not given you. And what they wanted was, Daniel, don't listen to what God says about you. Listen to what we say about you. Daniel was, God's what right and wrong. Now they were like, no, your role is the king, and he tells you what is right and wrong. The next one was Hananiah, and Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. This is what Hananiah was taught God is good, God is gracious, God is loving, God is for you, God is for your good. You can trust God. And that's what Hananiah's name meant. But now his name would be Shadrach. And Shadrach in the Babylonian meant, I am fearful of God. You can't trust God. You should be afraid of God and his plans for you. And you know what? This is what some of us have believed. God is a God of rules. God's not fun. He wants to take the joy out of living. God is not for you. He's against you. This is what Shadrach meant. Can I tell you something this morning? Every principle from God in the Bible Is for your good and for your joy let me say that again every principle in the Bible is for your good and for your joy and when you stop believing that principle you will continue to step out of God's loving plan for you and you might say but sin is fun and as a matter of fact sin is fun and if you're not having fun, you're not doing it right. But sin is fun for a season. And then you wake up and the misery that comes from that. And do you think that God wants you to live a lifetime of regret because you have chosen sin in a moment of fun? One of my favorite verses comes from Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. The introduction, verse 6 and 7, says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord because he is full of compassion. And then verse 8, it says this after he says, For he will freely forgive for my thoughts, and this is in quotes. This is God speaking. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as high as the heaven is above, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. What does that mean? That doesn't mean that God is just smarter or God is knows everything, all-wise, all-knowing it does mean that. But what it does mean is he is totally different than you and I. The way God loves, the way God forgives, the way God cares is totally different than you and I. As a matter of fact, do you remember in the New Testament, the story of Peter, and he was asking God about forgiveness? And he says this, how many times that we should forgive? And then Peter throws out a radical number, something that would be like kind of ultra spirit. Should we forgive seven times? And Jesus has a reply for him, but I often think like Peter does, like he was looking back at the law. What does the law say? You know, his tradition of how many times? Seven times? Because that's a lot. Have you ever had someone do something wrong to you seven times? The first time you're like, okay, they just messed up the second time you're like they messed up again about the third time you're like this doesn't seem like messing up anymore this seems like you might be doing this intentional and then by the fourth and the fifth time and so when Peter was like okay at seven I'm gonna tell you when God says his ways are not our ways let me just explain my way tell me the max number I need to forgive because if they go one more time than that they're gonna get what they're deserved That's how I operate. Tell me the max. Seven, I'll do it. But you you just try me on time number eight. You'll get what you deserve. So Jesus says, oh, no, not seven times. Seven times 70. So that's going way beyond. And my first thought is 490 times? I don't think I can do that. And Jesus is like, the point is not even 490 times. My forgiveness is unlimited. There is no max that you can go beyond God's forgiveness. And as a matter of fact, how he forgives, way different. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far your sins are. For me, forgiveness looks like I remember this happening last time. God's ways are far beyond what we can imagine. And this is what they wanted Hananiah to believe. God is not for you. God is against you. But the truth is God is always working for your transformation, always working for your redemption, always working for your good and your joy. The best marriage, the best joy with your finances, the best relationships you'll ever have is when you do it God's way. The third friend here was Michiel. Mishael's name in Hebrew meant who can compare to God. No one is like my God. His new name, Meshach, meant I am despised and shameful before God. So no one's like my God. Meshach, you are shamed before God. And this is the lie that some want you to believe. God can't love you. Look at your life. Look at all the wrong things you have done. You've messed it all up. Hear this. God wants to take all the shame from your life. This is why he died on the cross for your sin and was resurrected, to separate it as far as it can be separated. I read this in the middle part, Psalm 103, for as high as the heavens above, so great is his faithful love to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, that is so far, and that's how far he has removed your transgressions. It's not... Just those that haven't accepted Jesus that struggle with this some of you that have put your faith and trust in Jesus struggle with that that your life is defined by the struggles and shame of your past and the way I like to think about it is Christians are not perfect what Christians are is for for, to be forgiven And to stand strong in the wave of culture and the shift of culture, you need to live that and believe that God sees you as forgiven and shame is not your name. The last one, Azariah, Yahweh has helped. Yahweh was the personal name for God. Over 6,500 times in the Old Testament, he uses this term, Yahweh, the God who is self-existent, the God who is, the God of our ancestors, it would sometimes be described. But this was the personal name for God. This is what you can call me. And for Azariah, what that meant is God has helped. His new name, Abednego. In that culture, Abednego meant the servant of Nebo. And Nebo was a Babylonian God. So you're not going to serve the God Yahweh, you're going to serve one of our gods, and what happens when you stop believing? God is the God who helps. What often helps is you, What often happens is you start following the gods of the culture around you. If I asked you what are the gods of the culture around you, I'm sure many of you would give them like money, success, relationships, power, attentions, drugs. Alcohol. When culture changes, you have to remember who God says you are. And what happens here is when you stop believing that God is the God who helps, you turn to the culture around you for the gods. And it's so subtle to believe something about you that God does not say. I would say this don't believe a lie when someone tries to put a label on you that is not one that God has given you. Someone might have said something to you in the past, a previous relationship in high school. Maybe you were in elementary. Maybe it was at a job or it was a parent or a teacher. They said, you're a bad person. You're not a good mom. You will never amount to anything in this life. And you know what's amazing is one person can say something to you like that. And there can be tens of people around you that are telling you the truth. You can read the Bible, and over and over it says something different about you. And yet one comment from one person can be a label that you take that is not true about you. You're dumb. You're fat. You're lazy. You're slow. You're ugly. You will never whatever the fill in the blank. And if you take a name that God has not given you, you will miss the life that God has for you. So the question is, have you taken a name or a label on yourself that God has not given you? Look at the first part of verse eight. It says this, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. What David did was make a decision. He was resolved. Whatever name you give me, he says, I'm not going to live according to that. I'm going to live according to the name God has given me. So what happens next? He's not going to defile himself with the royal food and the wine, and he gets tested. And when you make a decision that I am not going to follow the name that the world has given me i am not going to follow the culture shift you will be tested and today i'm not going to get into daniel's test we'll get into that the next time that i speak but the real theme here is David daniel resolved daniel resolved and as a matter of fact i'll give you the end of the story in verse 20 he says it says that in every matter of wisdom after daniel had been tested And understanding, every wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found Daniel and his friends 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. So what's the takeaway as we finish today? If you want to stand strong in a culture that's shifting, let me give you two helps. This will be the takeaway. First, number one, be aware of the strategy used against you. When I was in high school, I played basketball. We would practice offense, we would practice defense, we would practice scenarios that were coming up. But when I went to college, something was really different. When, we played, when I played basketball in college, we would have, during the week, film session. And I had never had that in high school. And what film session was, we would actually watch the other team play ahead of time. And we would learn their plays. And as a matter of fact, there was a scout team, and that team, what their job was on the practice squad was actually to learn the offense of the other team, and we would practice against the offense of the other team. What was fun about that is you would come to a game, and you would actually be able, on defense, kind of run to the spot that they were gonna be in about two seconds from now, because you knew the play. And of course, at the college level, they knew that, so then they would do something different, but it was knowing the strategy of the other team. And this is, I think, the first help. Be aware of the strategy used against you. And help number two, I would say, is be resolved. Make a decision. You know what a thermometer is, right, where you bring it into a room, and it tells you the temperature of the room? If you bring it outside, it adjusts, and that's the new temperature that shows, and it goes down, and you can see it. A thermostat is something different. A thermostat is not something that tells the temperature, a thermostat sets the temperature. So you bring a thermostat, which is on the back wall, and you want it to be 68, you turn it to 68, it'll become in a few minutes 68. The making a decision, the resolve, is the difference between one reacts and one is proactive. So I would say it's, in that context, setting the culture versus reflecting the culture So the first strategy is knowing the culture strategy against you. And in this context of this message today, the strategy that was used against them was take on this new label, this new name. And I would say to you, don't take on a label that God has not given you. That is a strategy of the culture shift around you is to take on a new label and a new name that God has not given you. And some of us struggle with that. I can't trust God. God is against me. I am a failure. I am broken. I'm a bad mom. I'm a bad dad. I'm weird. I'm ugly. I'm a loser. I'm never going to amount to anything. Those are not any labels in the Bible that you will find that God says about his chosen. And the second one, Resolve that you will only live by a name that God has given you. And we have sung those this morning. We've read them this morning. And let me give you just a couple as we finish. You're holy, blameless because of what Christ did for you on the cross. You're forgiven. You're loved. You are righteous. You are a new creation. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. When you are weak, he makes you strong You're a child of God. You are free and you are made with a purpose. In Isaiah 43, this is how God says it. Now, this is what the Lord says. The one who created you, Jacob, the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name and you are mine. When you forget what God says about you, you will miss the life that God has for you. But when you live by the name that he has called you, that's the joy. That is the life. And that is the one that he calls you by if you put your faith in him. God, help us to live by the names that you have called us. Help us not to feel the pressure Of the culture shift around us that wants to redefine us that wants to give us a label that is not congruent with what you have called us to help us not to miss the life of joy and peace and hope because we give to the pressure of a label that you have not given us in jesus name we pray amen